Hello and welcome to Unlocking Markets, the RBC Blue Bay podcast where we bring you experts from across the firm providing opinions on markets, global policy, sustainability and macroeconomics and how these feed into our investment decisions. I'm Mike Reed, Head of Global Financial Institutions. Today I will talk to Mark Stacey. Mark is a senior portfolio manager focusing on non-sovereign debt and specialising in financial institutions. We will be focusing on the market for investment-grade investors, which has been very much at the forefront of many of our clients' minds as we start 2024. I'll be asking him what's in store for credit spreads, his views on the outlook for corporate issuance, and getting the lowdown on the financial sector. And, as ever, I shall be getting his opinions on where the potential dangers may lie. So, welcome, Mark. We have a lot to get through today, so let's dive in. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Right, let's start off. 2022 was a pretty disastrous year for bond markets. This was then followed by 2023, which produced a roller coaster ride before finishing in positive territory. As we enter 2024, what should investors expect now? Yeah, look, I think uh, 2023 was a roller coaster. I think coming out of 2022, a lot of investors were, were glad to see the end of 22 and were, were looking to 2023 as a bit of mean reversion. Uh, and uh, and hopefully an, an asset class uh, or an, certainly a risk assets that were going to rally because you'd had the worst performance of your 60-40 portfolio uh, is, uh, as, as we'd ever seen. Uh, and so I think 2023 started off relatively uh, well, but then obviously became increasingly bumpy as the year went on. Uh, and uh, while it finished in, uh, in positive territory, I think European corps delivered 8%. Uh, U.S. corporates delivered 8.4%. Um, I mean, look at the U.S. corps returns. 9.6% of that came in November and December. Wow. Uh, and so they were they were actually negative before the sort of last two months of the year. And so from that perspective, I think it it, it was a roller coaster year. Uh, there was a, there was certainly some volatility, uh, in predict, particularly in financials. Uh, I mean, in U.S. regionals, we came under increasing pressure. Uh, you had uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you had Signature that were um, uh, potentially uh, a huge catalyst for a risk sell-off. And you actually saw rate cuts uh, being priced into markets as as a result. Uh, I think the light regulation that U.S. regionals had enjoined obviously came to the fore when you saw uh, government bond yields move materially higher, uh, and the mark-to-market losses that was leading to the U.S. regional banks uh, obviously saw them come to a huge amount of pressure. Um, but also in Europe, I mean, let's uh, let, let's face it, we had one of the biggest bank defaults uh, with Credit Suisse being uh, merged with with UBS in the end. But but that ended up with six and a half percent of uh, the the eight-tier one market, the cocoa market, uh, defaulting. Uh, and so it, it was a roller coaster year. Um, but looking forward to 2024, where, where does that leave us? Uh, I mean, yields are, are, are fairly attractive. Uh, and when you look at investment grade yields, uh, we're not quite at the highs, but, but certainly over the last decade, uh, you're getting uh, pretty attractive yields um, and yields that we haven't seen for, as we said, uh, over, over 10 years. Uh, and so I think from the perspective that the macro uh, is, is still fairly uncertain, but the messages that we're getting from central bankers are that terminal rates have, have probably been reached. Uh, and so as we look forward, yes, uh, rates might be stickier for longer. Maybe we're pricing in too many cuts um, as we uh, as we look for the first half of the year and the second half of the year. But but certainly the idea that rates have, have, have peaked and if anything are moving slightly lower 
means that fixed income uh, and certainly investment grade within that starts to look quite attractive. And we're seeing those flows. Well, that really sets the scene nicely. I mean, talking about uh, rates, um, last time on we had Casper Hentz and he spent a lot of time talking about core government rates. And although core rates are a significant driver of overall returns for investment grade bonds as well, the premium from credit spreads can also add to overall returns. But how do credit spreads look now both in Europe and the US? And in addition, you know, should investors be concerned that you know if we go into an economic downturn, which some are predicting, that this will drag spreads wider and defaults will build up lower down the credit spectrum and drag investment grade spreads investment grade spreads wider? Yeah. So look, I mean, we've said how our yields are close to decade highs. Uh, from a spread perspective, um, you 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 also have a decent spread pickup, particularly in euros. So when we look at yields, you've got you've got European yields just inside 4%, you've got dollar yields just higher than 5%, uh, but the cross-currency basis of, of 1.5% roughly brings uh, those two asset classes in line from a yield perspective. When it comes to a spread perspective, uh, it's actually at 140 over in the European corporate bond space, it looks relatively attractive. If we look over the last five years, you've only been wider than 140 basis points 30% of the time. So uh, I think many fixed income asset classes, uh, US credit, high yield, uh, are on the tighter end of that, that sort of spectrum over the last five years. But when it comes to European corporates, uh, they're actually at, uh, at, at fairly attractive levels. And now there's certainly reasons for that. We've obviously had the U- Ukraine uh, um, uh, invasion by Russia, uh, and that sent uh, energy prices obviously materially higher. We have moderated the energy prices, but we're still sort of double where we were pre-invasion. And so structurally, there have been some big question marks around some of the uh, the, the countries within Europe that, that will struggle with higher energy prices, Germany being, being one of them. But certainly this idea that you have a 35 basis point pickup now in spread uh, versus dollars, we, we think is, uh, is is relatively attractive in a euro versus US um, dimension. Uh, and, and I think when you think about the sort of credit metrics and the, uh, the, the fundamentals uh, of investment grade, we're still in, in, in very good shape. Yes, we're, we're at, uh, at levels that are, are probably going to deteriorate, in particular if growth starts to slow. But when we look at interest coverage, when we look at um, the dynamic of having to refinance debt, uh, a lot of that was done over the course of 2020 when, when yields were incredibly low. And so from a corporate perspective, fundamentally, uh, we're in decent shape and, and, and certainly good shape to be able to weather any cyclical or growth downturn that we might experience in future. Now, it should be put in perspective there that you know 35 basis points might not sound like a huge amount, but that is 10% additional extra return. So that's that's quite a lot extra there. I mean, obviously, that's one side of the technicals. I mean, on the other side, there's obviously issuance. Um, within the government space, uh, when Casper was here, he was talking a lot about the, the large deficits that need to be funded, uh, and there's going to be a lot of issuance in that sector. And there may be some difficulty with investors uh, absorbing all of that. Coming over to corporates, though, is there a similar dynamic or is it slightly differentiated? Look, I mean, we've already experienced record issuance on the sovereign side uh, in, uh, in, in the few weeks that we've had uh, of January. Uh, but that's been met with record demand. Uh, and so this idea that we we sort of painted at the beginning of the uh, of, of, of this chat where central bankers are are trying to message that we've reached peaked rates and, and if anything, uh, rates are likely to, to fall, albeit 
we, we can argue about the pace of that. Uh, I think that has brought in a lot of investors into fixed income, whether it be sovereigns or corporates. Uh, and so when we think about the record issuance in sovereigns, yes, that's true, but we've also had record demand. Uh, I, I mean, the Spain received 130 billion of bids for their 10-year bond sale. Belgium got 72 billion for their 10-year bond sale. I mean, UK 20-year bond auction saw record investor demand. So uh, I think this idea that, yes, there is going to be increased supply. Uh, there's a huge amount of supply, obviously, in sovereigns to, to meet some of the, the fiscal needs. Um, when it comes to corporates, uh, we don't seem to have quite the, uh, the, the negative technical. Uh, I mean, high yield has been enjoying negative net supply. Uh, that should start to pick up now as you, you sort of have a wall of uh, refinancing in 2025 and that, that tends to get refinanced uh, six to 12 months early. And so in 2024, that, that should pick up. Um, and corporate supply has obviously been meaningfully lower uh, post 2020, when, as I said, you saw that huge pickup of around about 400 billion in, in, in supply. Uh, I think you, you're more likely to get anywhere between sort of 230 to 290. Um, uh, so, which is akin to what we experienced in sort of 21, 22, uh, and 23 was it was that 290 year. So, so net supply, I think, in corporates is, is going to be quite moderate. Uh, there's no M&A activity to speak of that we're going to be uh, using to finance, and it's going to be quite opportunistic, I think, from a corporate perspective. When it comes to financials, there's always a, a fair de degree of, uh, of gross supply. But again, I think that is going to be uh, materially lower than what we experienced in 2023. Net supply in certain parts of the capital structure is actually going to be flat, like ATA1, for example. But because we have uh, the LTRO rolling off, which was the, the extraordinary government scheme to provide funding for banks, that is now rolling off. Uh, and obviously, so well, what we're seeing is uh, is covered bond supply is going to replace that where you have sort of the security uh, of uh, of those assets being backed and, and covered bond supply should increase. That means that uh, senior preferred and senior non-preferred should, should pick up uh, slightly. But again, uh, net supply down on, on what we experienced in 2023. Well, that's a nice link into uh, my next question I've got for you because we've mentioned financials a couple of times. Um, I said we can't really talk you know, too far about investment grade without talking about financials. And you know, you mentioned what happened last year. They mentioned I mean, they make up about 30% of the benchmark. So the sector can and has, as you said, in 2023, had an outsized impact on overall returns, both negative and positive. Following that volatility, you know, with the credit suite issues, the issues in the, the American retail regional banks. What do you see the fundamentals for the sector looking forward in, in 2024? Are they more balanced now or are they, we should be still concerned there? there? No, look, I think, the, I think the fundamentals are incredibly robust. I think away from the U.S. regional banking system, which perhaps still has some question marks around the sort of equity, um, the equity case for, for those particular institutions, uh, in particular in light of the increased regulation that we should see. But when we, when we look at, at, at what happened in Europe, I mean, the European banking sector has been regulated uh, to the degree that it is far, far safer today than perhaps it's been in the last 20 years. I mean, as a result of the financial crisis, uh, you've had the business models meaningfully change, one from going to where banks had large proprietary trading desks to one where now there's much more reliance on net interest margin, on advisory, on brokerage, on asset management. So banks are more utility-like from a, um, a sort of business perspective than they've ever been. And at the same time, we've increased the amount of capital and liquidity that banks have uh, to a huge degree. Uh, if you think back pre-crisis of 2008, banks had roughly around about 6% in, in equity on balance sheet. Today, that's close to 16%. So we've added over a trillion 
euros worth of, of equity uh, onto banks' balance sheets. So not only are the business models much safer, but the amount of equity that we have that sits uh, on, the, on, the, on the capital structure is, is meaningfully higher as well. And, and to give you a sense of, uh, of, of what that looks like, I mean, during the financial crisis, we only lost on average, I say only, but it was 6% of, of capital was eroded uh, as a result of the financial crisis. And if you think we've added 10% of equity uh, on top of, uh, of that 6% to take us to 16, even if we had a repeat of the financial crisis, and, and as I said, the probability of that is much, much lower today because of the change in business model. But if we had a repeat and we lost 6%, you're really going from 16% to 10%. Uh, and so while that might be pretty diabolical from a mark-to-market perspective for equities, actually as bond investors that are senior in the capital structure, uh, there's still a huge buffer um, that we enjoy from, uh, um, from from that extra capital that's been added to banks' balance sheets that sits beneath us. I mean, additionally, I think fundamentals are, are looking pretty good for European banks, right? If you think about the macro scenario where we've gone from negative 50 basis points uh, to 400 basis points at the central banks, you've gone from uh, an environment that was very difficult to make money because uh, uh, interest rates were negative to one where you've, uh, you've, you've got this tailwind from a profitability standpoint. And we've seen this in the numbers. We, we saw back in 2020, banks only made about 200 billion. I mean, 2023, that number increased to 340 billion. Uh, and even if we have some of the rate cuts priced in to 2024 filter through, that, that number is still likely to be in excess of 300 billion uh, over the course of 2024. And so you've got this huge dynamic of, uh, of a profitability tailwind at, at the European banks. And at the same time, from a valuations perspective, uh, we've talked about Europe versus US and Europe looking uh, relatively attractive versus US, but even within Europe, you see uh, banks trading meaningfully back of where corporates are trading. Uh, and a lot of this is because of what happened with CS and what's happened with the US regionals, I think. But from a fundamental perspective, we just don't see why you should have this huge pickup now in financials versus non-financials, uh, and particularly in light of the macro dynamic that we're experiencing. Oh, that's, that is very reassuring and, and very interesting to hear such an in-depth uh, analysis of it there. Okay, well, you know, I have to come to this one. I mean, all uh, portfolio managers like to highlight the opportunities in their asset classes. But there are risks. We have to acknowledge that. And not least is, I'd say, is rising, the rising political tensions in uh, uh, geopolitical tensions in the Middle East. I mean, including this, what would be your main concerns at the moment? As you look at your portfolios, you can talk to investors. What are the main concerns on your radar right now? Look, I, I think you're right to highlight geopolitics. I think that's always the sort of uh, the left tail risk that's very difficult to to predict um uh, you've got ukraine and uh, and the russia you now have the middle east conflict that that has all the potential to be escalated i think uh, already you're seeing uh, attack on the houthis in the red sea uh, and bringing in some of the surrounding regions as well so so could that be a catalyst for a a wider conflict in the middle east perhaps uh, what effect does that have on inflation as well already you see shipping rates start to pick up uh, and this directly impacts Europe. If you see shipping rates uh, doubling or tripling again, now this is going to feed into inflation. Uh, and I think the ability for the ECB to then cut rates if inflation uh, is, uh, is, is, is sticky uh, or even moving higher uh, becomes increasingly problematic. So I think geopolitics is, is certainly a risk and, and, and one we're watching. I mean, over 50% of the world's population is voting in 2024. Uh, so that, that always has the potential uh, to be a catalyst for, for a fair bit of volatility. Um, and I think growth. Look, monetary policy always 
acts of the lag. Uh, we've had a huge uh, rate increase from uh, from zero or even negative rates in Europe uh, to, to 400 basis points. And so does that eventually filter through, filter through into growth uh, and to growth prospects? And, and I think ultimately it will have a bit of a drag. Uh, and, uh, and 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 that's a concern for credit spreads. I don't think that is our base case by any means, because I think actually the unemployment rate being so low uh, and households and corporate balance sheets being in, in decent shape means that default rates pick up, but only marginally. Uh, growth dynamics are, are still going to be relatively robust. If we have recession, maybe it's it's slightly negative, uh, but but none of that is a, is of particular concern. Uh, but certainly is something that we need to be alert to and uh, and alive to the risks. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's there's a lot going on out there, but I guess at least with where rates are and where yields are, you've actually got some carry to to help protect you at this point in time. But I guess you know we we talked about the volatility of the markets last year and how it was a real roller coaster ride. I mean, the bond market, as you said, didn't really get going until November. And uh, most of the years, or 100% of the year's returns were generated in the last two months of the year. And this definitely caught a lot of investors off guard. And, and it's generally a quieter period for investment decisions. I mean, as we enter 2024, are you seeing traditional long-only investors starting to re-engage with the market? Or is there a degree of skepticism out there still? No, look, I think what we've seen is as rate volatility has subsided, uh, you've seen an increasing interest in, in fixed income uh, and, and a move into uh, into not only government bonds, but also into, into corporate bonds as well. Uh, and I think you've got this dynamic where there's been a huge amount of money poured into money market funds. I think that number is close to six trillion in the U.S., uh, and and I, I joke with colleagues that that's as a warm sort of blanket when you're getting 6% in cash. But if we are going to see the rate cuts start to filter through and that 5% that you're getting in the U.S. trends towards the 3.8% that we're pricing for 2024, I think increasingly that $6 trillion starts to try to find a home uh, in, in, uh, in, in fixed income. Uh, and, uh, and I think that trend has started and I think that will continue over the course of 2024. And so a lot of the, uh, the upside that we saw in November, December is, uh, is, 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 is obviously been missed. Um, but I think there's a huge amount of upside still to be gained. And I think some of those uh, attractive areas that we mentioned, European corporates, uh, financials within that as well, are, are going to be particularly attractive and should deliver good risk-adjusted returns over the course of 2024. Thank you, Mark. That was a really interesting insight into an asset class that forms a core building block in many of our clients' portfolios. Uh, we will be back next month with another episode of Unlocking Markets. But until then, you can visit the RBC Blue Bay Insights pages for our latest thoughts across markets and asset classes. Good luck and goodbye. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks very much, Mike. This podcast is issued by RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire RBC Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.rbcbluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment tax or legal advice.
This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited, and it is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. RBC Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast, and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy or completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. RBC Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast or to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but RBC Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the markets in Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined in the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities.